Last Sunday, we began our studies in Mark chapter 13. And uh, as we did, we uh, began to look together at this wonderful question that Jesus uh, gives to us in Mark 13, where he answers uh, questions about the end times. Now, Mark 13 is the longest sermon in Mark's gospel. It is called the Olivet Discourse. And the reason it's called the Olivet Discourse is, as we see, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. And he was about two days before his crucifixion, and he could look down the corridors of time, and he could see all that was coming upon this world. And so the birth pangs of a mother getting ready to give birth, And so he said that the earth will be in travail between his first coming and his second coming, like a mother ready to deliver a child. What is amazing is as Jesus gave us a clear uh, history of what was to come, he was totally calm and totally tranquil as he laid out the course of history. And what a comfort that is for us. What a comfort that is for us. Jesus knows the future and He directs the future. Amen this morning? Amen. In fact, notice what He said. He said, but take heed. Behold, I have foretold you all things. You see, we can have the same tranquility and calmness that Jesus had because we know that He is in control of all history. In this sermon, Jesus answers two questions. What will happen? And when will it happen? And the first question, Jesus answers from two sides. The false signs of the end that are not an indication that He is planning to come in imminency and immediately... And then he answers the positive side, the true of the end time. Now, you may remember last week we saw the false signs of the end times. Jesus said, these are signs that are not the indication of the imminent end. Deception, false messiahs and teaching. Disorder, war and moral decay. Disasters, earthquakes and famines and distresses. Beatings, death, and hatred. By the way, it sounds like our world today, doesn't it? And Jesus was completely accurate in what He said was coming. Now remember what He said. These are the beginning of birth pangs. Every mother knows that when the birth pangs start, two things are true. One, there are more coming. And it may be a long time before the baby appears. And so that is what Jesus is telling us. These signs will characterize the whole age and do not necessarily mean He is imminently coming. It's very interesting, on Friday we got a letter uh, to our church from a lady in California by the name of Cheryl Fulmer. I don't know Cheryl, never met her. Uh, Should always be a little leery about opening letters from California. But uh, this is how she begins her letter. Sadly, this country will change drastically in the days just ahead. 
Jesus is coming very, very soon. Nothing else matters. Very last day. Here in the final moments, God will cut His work short. We are the people of the very last days of earth's history, and everything is underlined in bright orange. Now, she cannot know this. And not only can she not know this, Jesus clearly said she should not be saying this. Because these are the signs of the entire age while he is absent. Well, if these are false signs, what is the true sign? Well, that's what Jesus continues to share with us as we continue in this amazing three-point sermon. And today, we will look at the second part of it as Jesus teaches us true signs of the end times. And so I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me, if you would, to Mark 13. And let's put in now at verse 14, if you'd like to follow along in the chair Bible in front of you, it is page 1010. Find verse 14. And I want you to notice what Jesus says. Now, we're going to ask three questions, four questions, actually, in this message. What is the key sign? When will this sign happen? How near are we to the sign? And question, will we be here when all of this takes place? Look with me, if you would, at verse 14. Jesus says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, and then notice this little pointer, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, you will notice that Jesus says the key sign to look for that is a premonition and a forerunner of His return is what He describes as the abomination of desolation. When He says, let the reader understand, what that is, is a decoding signal. And everyone who knows their Bible knows that this sign, this signal, was mentioned three times by Daniel the prophet. Daniel 9.27, Daniel 11.31, Daniel 12.11. And so Jesus is connecting with Daniel's prophecy, and He is saying, when you see this sign, then you know what Daniel predicted is about ready to be fulfilled. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus said there are three concepts involved. Number one, it's an abomination. Two, desolation. Two, standing where he ought not to be. And number three, it leads to desolation. What do these three expressions mean? Well, abomination was used in the Old Testament of pagan idolatry and all of the detestable practices that were associated with it. So all that took place in idolatry and all of the moral and evil that came out of it is what the Bible refers to as an abomination. Standing where he ought not to be from Daniel, it is very clear that refers to the temple sanctuary. 
And so this abomination standing where he ought not to be that leads to desolation refers to this, the presence of an idolatrous person or object so detestable that the Jewish people would abandon the temple. Let me say that again. It is the desolation that refers to the presence of an idolatrous person or object so detestable that it would cause the Jewish people to abandon their temple. Now, when will this happen? Well, according to the Bible, we need to understand that sometimes prophecies have multiple fulfillments. Sometimes there is a near fulfillment happen between foreshadowing of a much further fulfillment, and there is a gap in between that sometimes can literally be thousands of years. And when we look at Daniel's teaching and Jesus' teaching, and we look at history, and we look at Revelation, what we learn is this is there are at least three fulfillments of the abomination of desolation. There was one in the past. There would be one in a short future from when Jesus died in 33 A.D., and there is one yet to come in the distant future. Now let's look at these, shall we? The one in the past occurred in 167 B.C. with a man by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes. He was a Syrian ruler who conquered Jerusalem, and he tried to force Greek culture on the Jews. He forbid them to circumcise their baby boys. He forbid sacrifices. At one point, he actually sacrificed a pig on the Jewish altar, and he even set up a brothel in the temple. In the book of Maccabees, which describes this entire period, we read this in Maccabees chapter 1, verse 5. On the 15th day of Chislev, in the 144th, 45th year, he erected what was the sacrilege on the altar of burnt offering. What was that desecrating sacrilege? It was a statue of the Greek god Zeus. And it was such an abomination to the Jewish people that they abandoned the temple until the Maccabean revolt in which the Maccabees led the Jewish people once again to recapture their land and to cleanse the temple. That was the first fulfillment of the abomination of desolation. The second one was a short future from which the time that Jesus lived. It was A.D. 66 to 70, and this was carried out by the Romans. Now let me share with you what happened. The Jews revolted against Rome in 66 A.D. Amidst the turmoil, the zealot party which were very much opposed to the way things were going in Jerusalem and in Israel and in the temple worship, they took control of the temple. Here's what happened. They actually let criminals into the Holy of Holies. They murdered priests. They installed a fake high priest by the name of Phani. 
Josephus, the Jewish historian who lived through this period, and such a clown that he hardly knew what the priesthood was. And when Rome conquered Jerusalem in 70 A.D., after four years of this revolt, they raised an image of the emperor above the temple. And the abomination of 66 by the zealots led to the complete desolation of the temple by the Romans in 70 A.D. By the way, the things that Jesus predict here literally happened. Look at verse 14. He says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. And in 66, all the way through to the end of 70, great numbers of people fled Jerusalem, many of them Christians, because of this very warning by Jesus. In the third century, there was a Christian historian by the name of Eusebius. He's called the father of church history. Listen to how he described what occurred. The people of the church at Jerusalem had been commanded to depart from the city before the war and to inhabit a certain city of Perea. They called it Pella. And when those who believed in Christ had removed from Jerusalem the just of wicked persons, then visited by destroying that generation of wicked persons, root and branch, from among men, just as Jesus had predicted. Josephus, who watched it, said, the ones who fled... They left the city like swimmers deserting a sinking ship. Notice Jesus also said they would leave in haste. Verse 15, Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And they literally fled without taking any of their possessions. Jesus said, for some, it would be days of great difficulty. Look at verse 17. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter, says the Lord Jesus. In the spring of 68 AD, there were a group that were fleeing. When they got to the banks of the Jordan River, it was overflowed from the spring runoff. And they were unable to cross the river. The Romans caught up with them and slaughtered them, just as Jesus said would occur. And then Jesus said there would be unparalleled distress. As his team, he said, For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now, and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. Listen to the conditions in the city of Jerusalem as the end drew near. These are the first-hand accounts of Josephus. 
The upper rooms were full of women and children that were dying by famine. And the lanes of the city were full of the dead bodies of the aged. The children also and the young men wandered about the marketplaces like shadows, all swelled with the famine, and fell down dead wherever their misery seized them. Unparalleled distress, as Jesus had said. And then He said there would be deception. Look at verse 21. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there He is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead them astray, if possible, the elect. Do you know right destroy Right up until the Romans broke into the city, destroyed its walls, hewed down the temple one stone upon another, false Jewish prophets were predicting that God would rescue His people right up to the very end. And what Jesus said in verse 23, Beyond the guard, I have told you all things beforehand. That warning came exactly true in every detail. So we can see a past fulfillment. We can see a short future fulfillment. But what about a distant fulfillment? What about a distant fulfillment? The Bible says that someday there's a period of time coming known as the tribulation. A great false leader known as the Antichrist will arise. And the Bible says that that will yet be the third fulfillment of the abomination of desolation. Now let me give you a thumbnail sketch of what the Bible says. Daniel in his prophecy says there are seven years left in Israel's prophetic history. In the end times, at the beginning of those seven years, the Antichrist will be restarted covenant with the Jews. The temple will be rebuilt, worship will be restarted, and then at the midpoint, three and a half years in, the Antichrist will break the covenant, he will desecrate the temple, and he will proclaim himself God. The Bible calls those terrible events that will ensue the Great Tribulation. They will begin at that point, and there will be severe persecution. Places like Revelation 6 and other chapters in Revelation say many will be forced to flee, and many will be martyred. Now there are details here in Jesus' prophecy that indicate to us that there is a third fulfillment He is describing that is yet to come. What are those details? Well, did you notice in verse 14 that Jesus calls the abomination of desolation He? Did you see that? standing where He does not belong. That is a future reference very clearly to a person. Verse 19, 
In those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. That is an echo of Daniel as the days verse 1, which is an end time prophecy. And when Jesus says the days coming, there will be no days that have been like them and never will be, indicates another time yet to come. And then when he says those days, verse 19, verse 24, those days. In the Old Testament, in places like Joel chapter 3, verse 1, those days is a prophetic phrase for the end. And then did you notice what Jesus said? He will shorten those days, verse 21, for the sake of His people. How does He shorten those days? Well, the Bible says in Revelation 19, verses 11 to 21, that He will appear on a white stallion. His name will be King of kings and Lord of lords. Out of His mouth will come a two-edged sword, and He will defeat the Antichrist and all the Antichrist forces, and He will shorten the days by His return. You see, it is very, very clear. The Bible says this is yet to be fulfilled again a third time in the distant future. Is this sign? Now that leads us then to question number three. Is this sign near? Is it close? Here's the answer I want to give to you this morning. It could be near. It is not clear that it is near. How's that for talking out of both sides of my mouth? Maybe. Maybe not. Do you know there are two events that have to happen for the abomination of desolation to be fulfilled a third time? Number one is this, Israel must be regathered and living in their own land. Has that sign happened? Yes, it has. In 1949, Israel once again was declared a nation in the land of Palestine, and for the first time since the events of 70 A.D., the United Nations recognized the right of the state of Israel to exist in their own land. Do you know how many Jews were living in the land in 1949? Half a million. You know how many live there today? Six and a half million. Sign number one has been fulfilled of the fact many people who do not believe in this literal version of the uh, coming events of the world have said to those of us who do, we've got to hand it to you, what the Bible said about Israel being a nation once again has happened, and we have seen that sign fulfilled. Here's the second sign that has to happen. The temple must be rebuilt and worship reestablished. The Bible makes this very, very clear. 
Look at these words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. Look what he says. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. He is describing there the Antichrist who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sits in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Paul wrote these words long before 70 A.D. And when he referred to the temple of God, everyone knew what he was talking about. The temple in Jerusalem that heating and operating. Remember what Jesus said? He said, when you see him standing where he does not belong. What did Daniel say that was? That standing in the sanctuary of the temple of God. For the Antichrist to do that, it is very clear the temple must be rebuilt and worship must be reestablished by the Jewish people. There's a problem, isn't there? Do you know what the problem is? Sitting on the temple site in Jerusalem to this very day is one of the most sacred sites in all Islam, this is the Dome of the Rock. And it sits on the site of the ancient Jewish temple. And for the Jews to begin building another temple would enrage the whole Muslim world. And Israel does not appear to be prepared to do that yet. Some day they will. Some day they will. And so it leads us then to the very last question. Will we be here for the tribulation? Now that they are a nation once again in their own land, and we are awaiting the day when they will rebuild the temple and reestablish their worship, and then someday the Antichrist will make a covenant with them and the tribulation will begin, will we be here? Well, that depends on the view of the rapture that we have. The Bible teaches us something about the second coming of Christ. It says it's going to happen in two phases. The first phase is what we know as the rapture. The Bible says that Jesus is going to return in the clouds, and He's going to catch up His people, and they're going to be with Him in heaven. The Latin word in the Latin Bible is called rapio, from which we get our word rapture. But then the Bible says, following the rapture, Jesus is going to return with the saints that He has caught up, 
And he is going to come to this earth and establish his kingdom, and that is his second coming. So there are two phases the second coming of the second coming of Jesus. The rapture, the catching up, and the second coming, which is the coming down. Now I want you to notice here that Jesus is clearly describing his second coming. Look at verse 24. But in those days, again, there's that prophetic term from the Old Testament that refers to the end. After that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Read Revelation, and you will discover these are cosmic disturbances signifying God's wrath being poured out during the tribulation. And then notice what verse 26 says. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He will return to earth in His second coming. And verse 27 says, And then He will send out the angels, and they will gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. And the saints that are coming back with Jesus from heaven will enter into His thousand-year kingdom with all believers that are gathered out of the tribulation as Jesus rules for a thousand years. Go through the tribulation. Now here's the question. Will Christians go through the tribulation? Or will we be raptured before it? Will the rapture occur at the beginning of the seven years so that we are in heaven while these events occur? And then at the end of the seven years, when Jesus comes to earth again, as He describes and as Revelation goes into greater detail, will we come with Him as He prepares to take tribulation saints into the kingdom where we will rule with Jesus for a thousand years. Let me say this to you this morning. No verse proves conclusively the timing of the rapture. And so, we cannot be dogmatic here. But I want to say to you, there are some verses that suggest the coming tribulation is not God's purpose for His church today. Let me read for you and with you one of those verses. This is 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, and 10 that describes the conversion of the believers in the ancient Greek city of Thessalonica. Would you read this verse with me? They tell how you turn and to wait idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Do you know how Revelation 6.17 describes the tribulation? It says, God's wrath has come. But what does this verse say? 
this verse say we are waiting for Jesus to come. And when He does come, what's He going to do? He's going to deliver us from the coming wrath. Now, I cannot be dogmatic here about this, but this seems to me to promise believers today rescue from the tribulation. And so on the basis of this verse and others that I could take you to, I think it is very, very warranted to say it appears like the rapture will occur first before all these events. Did you know there's another question? But did you know there's another question? Did you know there's another question? If you're not a Christian and the rapture happens before the tribulation, will you go through the tribulation? The answer to that is yes, you will. You see, we can debate whether Christians will be taken out before the tribulation or will remain through it. We can debate that. But if you are alive when these events come, you will be left behind and you will suffer the wrath of God. And I want you to listen to what you will experience if you are left behind and you go into the tribulation period. Listen to what 2 Thessalonians 2, 9-12 says you will experience. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil, that deceives those who are perishing, They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, leave the law. Give them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. All will be condemned. That's what you will be facing. If you are left to go through the tribulation. Why are you here today? Why are you in this very service? Why in the Gospel of Mark does Jesus give us His longest sermon in this Gospel on these issues? Because He does not want you to face God's wrath. He wants you to be saved. He doesn't want you to be a part of those who are perishing, who will be condemned. He wants you to come to Him and receive His grace and His mercy, His forgiveness and His new life. So that whenever the rapture occurs and the believers in Christ are caught up, whenever that occurs, And however you believe the Bible is saying it will happen, whether we will go through it and be caught up, whether we be caught up before it, you will not perish. 
But instead, you'll enter into the kingdom of your Father, prepared for you from the ages this has laid out. That's why you're here today. And that's why Jesus has laid out these events for us. If you are here today and you're not sure where you stand with Jesus Christ, make sure that you know. Make sure that you know. I knew a pastor one day who was pleading with a man to turn his life over to Christ and be saved. The man said he was not ready. The pastor said to him, well, what if you should die? And that man said to the pastor, well, I'm, I'm sure that won't happen. That very evening, and this pastor told me this personally, this was his personal experience, that man walked out of that building, stepped off the curve, was hit by a car, and was killed. That was the very last time he had the opportunity to accept Christ. And what he said was, I'm sure I will have plenty of time. And that time never came. We are living in urgent days. We are living in difficult days. We are living in wicked days. And Christ is calling out a people for His moment, shall we? And He wants you to be a part of that people. Let's take a moment, shall we, and bow our heads and close our eyes. And as we are not looking around this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to come to faith in Christ today. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, and we are thinking about the certain return of Christ, He came the first time, He rose from the dead, He said, I will come again. And He wants you to be ready. There's something you can do. You can, in the quietness of your own heart, say something like this, just non-verbally to the Lord. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. And I've failed You in many ways. I know that I could never earn Your salvation by any good that I could ever do. But I believe that Jesus is Your Son whom You sent into the world. I believe that He went to the cross and died for my sins. And He rose again that I might have life. And you can say this one way. Lord Jesus, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way. And I'm turning to You. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Take over. Forgive me of my sins, which I know are many. Give to me the gift of eternal life. Cause me this very moment to be born from above. Make me a child of God.
And then you can say, Lord, believing Your promises, I now give to You my whole life. I know I will not follow You perfectly, but from this day forward, God helping me, I will follow You and Your Word with all of my heart. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that this invitation that goes out, apart from the working of the Spirit of God, no one will respond to. Our hearts are, our eyes are too blind. Our hearts are too hard. And You must take away the veil that blinds our eyes and You must give to us a heart of flesh in place of the heart of stone. And I pray, Lord, today that as Your Word has gone forth, that You would do that thing in the very hearts of men and women, boys and girls, in young people that if there is any doubt as to where they stand with You, that today would become the day of salvation. Lord, I pray that You would not leave them alone. I pray that the Spirit of God would work on their conscience. I pray that they would not be able to escape the truth that Jesus is coming again. And will I be ready? And if I'm not ready, how can I get ready? And if I think the day of death is a long way off, what if that day of death is tomorrow? And if I should die tomorrow, where will I wake up? Will I be in the presence of Jesus in heaven? Or will I be in hell, which is prepared for Satan and his angels? where the Antichrist and all of his hosts will one day be cast. Father, these are the eternal, along with all the unbelieving of all ages, into the lake of fire. Father, these are the eternal issues, the real issues, that no one can just ignore or set aside or wait for another day. But now is the day of salvation. By Your Spirit, draw people to Yourself today. And we will praise You and thank You for Jesus' wonderful sake. Amen.